Okay, is that better? Yay! <laughs> so, uh, like I was saying, it, like, I, I want to know what exactly it was that Paul was teaching as he went to these different cities and all these people came uh, to faith. And these, these epistles, these letters that Paul wrote are our insight into that. They, they show us exactly what Paul had to say. And, uh, and, and they, they, they teach us what he was teaching to these churches uh, as they were being planted and as they were being developed and as they were being encouraged and nurtured and as they were being scolded sometimes for things that that they were doing wrong. So uh, that's what I want to do. Usually what I do is just I I find a book of the Bible and I preach through it chapter and verse uh, all the way through. It's called expository preaching. That's my usual style. Uh, And so this, like doing an overview of an entire book, it's kind of torture. It's hard to do. Uh, But I think sometimes I'm guilty of of like really digging into the to the details and focusing on on the you know the little things which is good and important and uh, but I miss the big picture right I think sometimes it's helpful for us just to take a couple steps back and look at the whole big picture of scripture uh, I think that's for for some of you maybe that's never happened before you've never really understood how the whole thing works how it all fits together uh, I had someone just this week that asked me that question like. So explain to me uh, the Bible. Like, oh, um, <laughs> where do you want me to start? <laughs> uh, so I don't want to assume that like, you get how it all fits together. And then I think just for all of us, every now and then having a refresher course on how the, the Bible works together is important. So, so let's dig in. Let's do that. First of all, I just want to talk about some basic things about the Bible that are going to be 101 level for a lot of you here. The Bible is not just a book. It's really more of a library, right? It's a collection of writings. Uh, it, sometimes we think that the Bible is a novel, right? Or we, we think that it's a a history textbook, and, and we go into it reading it that way, and it can be confusing because it's, that's not, it's really not what it is. It's, it's a collection of lots of other writings, a, a bunch of different uh, books and letters that are all uh, put together. Uh, the Bible was written over the course of about 1,500 years, but it covers many thousands of years of human history. The Bible was written by over 40 different people. And, and lots of different kinds of people. It was written by, by kings and prophets and scholars and, and fishermen and shepherds and poets. People with lots of different backgrounds. Uh, the Bible was written in three different languages. It was written in Hebrew and then some parts of the Old Testament written in Aramaic. And then uh, the New Testament was written in Greek. In this, this library of writings, we find different genres of writing. We find history and and poetry, and prophecy, we find theology, and we find letters. The composition of the Bible is itself a miracle. It's it's remarkably diverse. Think about all the different people that had a hand in writing it over all of the years, and yet it is amazingly unified. How? How is it possible I mean, sometimes when we're writing something down, there's not unity in our own writing from when we start to when we finish. How is it possible that this Bible could be so completely unified? Because there's a unifying factor that runs all throughout it, right? And that factor is 
God, right? The Bible is inspired by God Himself. God's been involved in the, in the inspiration and the writing of Scripture and in the transmission of that Scripture so that what we have now is exactly what God wants us to have. And God's Holy Spirit is involved in the illumination of Scripture, helping us to understand it. How? How does that work? How does inspiration work? How did that part happen? Did, did God just dictate what he wanted in the Bible to these authors and then they just wrote down word for word what God had to say? Uh, well, there are some places where uh, God is directly quoted, but the Bible is not dictation. Uh, did, did these authors just write whatever they thought was uh, supposed to be written down and then show it to God and have him proofread it? Like, does this look good to you, God? Is this, can you check my spelling? That's not it either. It's... Something different. What we have in the inspiration of Scripture is the Holy Spirit of God working in and through each individual author of the Bible. Helping them to write in a way that was not just their own opinion, not just their own personal ideas, but exactly what God wanted. God did what He, what he still does in a lot of ways. He, he works through us to accomplish His will in this world. 2 Peter 1.20, it says, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. There Peter is explaining how Scripture was inspired. Men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. And so because of that, we have a high degree of certainty that the words written in the Bible are accurate and they're true and they're reliable. And they're actually from God. In the Old Testament, there's books of history like Genesis through, through Nehemiah. And then there's this section uh, that's called poetry uh, you know, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, Song of Solomon, Job, and then lots of uh, books of prophecy. In the New Testament, there's books of history also and, and biographies. Those are the, the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are all telling about the life and ministry of Jesus. And then Acts that we just studied is the history of the birth and development of the church. And then m much of the rest of the New Testament is this thing called epistles, which are just letters. Letters written m mostly by Paul, but also by Peter and John. And what I want to focus on, again, in this overview, is these letters that Paul wrote during different parts of his missionary journeys. Because I, th I think that these letters that he wrote make more sense when we, when we read them in their historic context. I think that's always the case. I think, I think the biggest mistake that we make in reading Scripture is whenever we take a verse or a chapter or a section out of context. But when we understand what was going on in the life and in the ministry of, of Paul and in the church as he wrote these letters, they make so much more sense. They become so much clearer. And so I want to start that today by looking at 
the book of Galatians. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be looking at these books of the Bible in their, in their biblical order, but in their chronological order. The first letter that Paul wrote that we have preserved in scripture was this letter to the churches in Galatia. It's, it's interesting. If you think about it, it's interesting that we find in the New Testament letters as, as sacred, holy scripture. You don't find that in the Old Testament. That's, that's a New Testament thing. But I think it makes some sense, right? When you, th- when you think about it, uh, these letters reflect the kind of relationship that we have in the family of God. One that is close and, and personal, intimate. And so having these letters that are, that are a lot more intimate uh, as a communication fr- from God makes sense. And w- what we're going to find in these letters is, is not just uh, solid theology. Oh, there's a lot of that there. Cl- clear truth. There's t- tons of that there. But also just some practical advice on how we are to live as, as members in the family of God. You know, all throughout the book of Acts, we read about Paul teaching, and we don't, we don't have the specifics about what he has to say. And so this, this right here is, is a window into what was going on inside Paul's mind and his heart and, and what he was saying to these different churches. So this first one to Galatia. Galatia was a, was a region, not a city, uh, not, not a city like, like Corinth or Thessalonica. Uh, Galatia was this area that Paul and Barnabas traveled to during their first missionary journey. It included some of the cities like, like Iconium and, and Lystra and Derby. Uh, if we think of it uh, like in the United States as our geography map, it would be like North Dakota, kind of up there, a little bit more rural. I'm not going to say redneck, but kind of like that. Um, this, this was the place where Paul was, was stoned almost to death. They thought he was dead. Uh, so this letter was, was written and delivered and intended to be copied and passed on to all of the different churches in that region. It was probably written by Paul right after he got home from that first missionary journey. So in like AD 49, make sure you write that down. That's going to be on the test later. Uh, so so uh, pr- pretty early on in his uh, ministry, the audience that Paul is writing to here is primarily Gentile believers. There's this huge wave of Gentile converts that come to faith in Jesus as a result of his ministry, which is probably part of the reason why the Jews get mad and, and drive Paul out of the area. What, what happens here, Paul finds out that there's this group of Jewish believers, Jews who, who have placed their faith in Jesus, but now they're going to the Gentiles and saying, all right, guys, if you really want to be saved, like, like truly saved, you have to become a Jew first, and then you can get to heaven. So that means you have to be circumcised and keep all of the, the uh, Mosaic laws and keep all the rules and keep all the holidays. If you do all those things, then you can get to heaven. And Paul finds out about that and, and is mad about it. Uh, in Acts chapter 15, some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. 
This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. I don't know about you, but when I read that in Acts, the first thing I think is, I want to know what that sharp dispute was. <laughs> what exactly was it that Paul was saying to these? You know he had to be mad about it, right? He's fired up. Like, what is, what is he saying? Well, the book of Galatians is what Paul was saying. It's, it's him writing down this sharp dispute that he had with these Judaizers. Paul wants to make sure that those Gentile Christian believers know that their salvation is secure and that their salvation is solely a work of Jesus Christ. There is no further work necessary on their part at all. You don't have to become a Jew to then be saved. You don't have to perform any secondary work. There is absolute, total, complete freedom in Christ. Galatians is all about this gospel of grace. Uh, if you got your Bible, turn, turn to Galatians 1.1. It starts off with the, uh, the customary uh, greeting. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead and the brethren who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins so that He might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Wow. So like even in His opening words, Paul is teaching about the grace of God through Jesus Christ. He doesn't waste any time in getting right to the point, right? Look at verse 6 in chapter 1. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul makes it really clear, though. Listen, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, that there is salvation in Jesus Christ, that if you place your faith in Jesus, He has paid our debt, He's forgiven all of our sins, we're completely covered. If anybody says anything other than that to you, Paul says He is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. So right out of the gate, Paul defends this gospel of grace through faith in Jesus as the only true gospel. And if anyone brings you any other gospel, they're to be accursed, anathema. I think that's like the strongest words that Paul could think of to use for they're wrong. Like, like literally, these people can go to hell. They are, they are absolutely wrong. So here's the message. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. Period. That's it. Nothing else. Nothing can ever be added to that equation. 
And so Paul spends the next uh, uh, rest of chapters 1 and 2 explaining that his ministry and that his message has come right from Jesus himself. He's, he's uh, uh, showing why he has the authority to teach what he's teaching. It's, it's not just something that he came up with. It's something that he got right from Jesus. And Paul explains that he, all of this ministry that he's done to the Gentiles... Paul talks about the time he even had to scold Peter because Peter was discriminating against Gentile believers with, with Jewish Christians. And, and then Paul is quick to explain how everyone, every Jew and Gentile alike, are saved the exact same way through faith in Jesus. And any attempt to add anything else to that would be the, just like uh, denying the grace of God. It would be like setting aside the grace of God. And Paul's, I, we're, I'm not going to do that. There's no way we can do that. In Galatians 2, chapter 20, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God. I'm not going to do I, I'm not going to nullify it. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to dishonor the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Again, Paul's using some very, very stark language here. And he's simply saying, if you could be saved through keeping the law, like these Judaizers are saying you need to do, then we don't need Jesus. Then he died for no reason. It's, it's the same as denying this grace that God has given us through Christ. So in these first two chapters, right out of the gate, he's strongly defending the gospel of grace through faith in Jesus and defending his own authority to preach that gospel. In chapters 3 and 4, Paul is then just reiterating, re-explaining to them exactly what this means. What does what salvation through grace mean? How does it work? And he wants to make sure that, that nobody is confused about how grace works. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. It's the one thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by, by hearing with faith? That seems like a fair question. How did you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of God, Galatians? Was it, was it because of all the things that you did or because you heard this gospel of salvation and believed through faith? Are you so foolish? He says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul's saying, remember back when you received the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. Remember back when you were witnesses to the miracles that were performed through the power of God. Remember when you, when you saw those things. Was it because of your faith that those things happened? Or was it because of your works? And the, and the answer is, is super clear. 
It was, it was because of their faith. It was through faith that they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and they didn't need anything else back then. So why on earth do you guys think that you have to do Jewishy things now to be right with God? You already are right with God. You were back then, and you still are now. Paul then argues from the Old Testament clearly pointing at the, at the, the Judaizers, shows that salvation has always been about faith, not works. But that's especially true now through Christ. You don't have to become a child of Abraham and hold all the rules of the Abrahamic covenant to be God's child. That, that Abrahamic covenant was all about God's promises Ultimately, promises that would be fulfilled in Jesus. And now, we've got Jesus. Look look at Galatians 3.24. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to a promise. What Paul is saying there is that there is no distinctions. We are all saved the exact same way. We're all saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul finishes this letter in chapters 5 and 6 by explaining what this gospel means for our lives, how, how it applies to our lives. So if this is true, if we really are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then what does it mean for how we're supposed to live? First and foremost, it means that we're free. There's this freedom that comes, that's ours, that's available. This this huge blessing. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And the, the slavery he's talking about here is this futile attempt to try and keep the law and thinking that your good works earns you salvation. You didn't do that to gain salvation. You don't do good works to keep your salvation. Any any attempts to think that you're a part of that process is disgracing the sacrifice that Jesus made. And if you do that, you're snubbing the freedom that Jesus has purchased for us. You claim that you have to get back underneath this, this yoke of works that you have to do. No, that's the, the whole point of what Jesus did was to free you from that. Be free. Stop, stop piling it back on again. It doesn't make any sense. But Paul also mentions here, he also talks about that this freedom is not a license to sin. That's not what that means. That not, that's not what this is, which, which again is going to be the first uh, question that people have, if I'm totally forgiven and saved by grace, then I can do whatever I, I want. Is, is, is that what it means? 
Look at Galatians 5.16. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. That's... It's a key distinction that Paul's your, your life now, because you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, is led by the Spirit of God, not the law, not rules. Here's what's going to happen if you're led by the Spirit of God. It says the deeds of the flesh are, are, are evident. You know what those things are. Immorality and impurity and sensuality and idolatry and sorcery and enmities and strife. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. Things like these, for which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, a life that's lived, guided by the Spirit, is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the, the answer to that question, what does life lived under this gospel of grace look like? It looks like someone who understands that their salvation is totally and completely a gift of God through the sacrifice of Jesus. They understand that there is no works-based salvation, that there's nothing that we need to do to add to the completed work of Jesus Christ. And if anyone tells you anything different, they're to be accursed. And it means... That our lives are free. The gospel of grace means freedom for us. We, we are free from uh, sin, and now we get to live by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That's why, that's why Paul's instructions here for us is to every single day squash those old fleshly desires and instead more and more live through the leading of God's Holy Spirit so that we have a life that is bearing good fruit. Good fruit is the result of our Spirit-filled salvation state. It's not something that we do to earn it, right? Hopefully we all got that. At the, at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, what Paul is ranting about here in Galatians is reaffirmed. The whole church with Peter and James, everybody reaffirms this truth that it's just through Jesus and nothing else. So what, why do we have this? But why did this book, why did this letter that Paul wrote to these churches in like biblical North Dakota that has to do with like Jewish people uh, telling Gentile people what they had to do? Why do we have that? Why do we need that? Why did God decide that this is going to be inspired scripture that's going to be carried down throughout thousands of years so that we would read it now? We're, I don't know about you, but I haven't 
I haven't felt that much pressure from Jewish people to act like them. Um, Why do we need this book? Why is it relevant? I think because what what the author of Ecclesiastes says is true is there's, there's nothing new under the sun. Are there still people who claim that you have to work to earn your salvation? Yes, only every single cult of Christianity and other world religion out there claims that you have to work to earn something. Do we sometimes doubt our salvation? Because we're, we're still sinners. Uh, and we're not perfect. And we, don't, we don't look as good or as clean or as nice as those other Christians that are so good. Like, Do we sometimes doubt our standing before God? I think sometimes we do. Is it helpful for us to be reminded what the source of our salvation is. Oh man, yeah it is. If you're ever confused, if you ever doubt, if you're ever wondering about your salvation, just go back and read Galatians. Along with the the theology and the instructions for godly living that Paul delivers here, it's just filled with so much compassion and so much love and you can, you can sense his pastoral heart in these letters. He cares deeply for these people. He wants them to know just how secure they are in Jesus. I, I want that same thing for you guys. I want you to know just how secure you are in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Oh man, thank, thank God for giving us these letters, right? These these amazing, encouraging letters so that thousands of years later we, we can read them and, and know the kind of God that we serve. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for, for giving us your word, for these, these inspired writings that teach us about the source of our salvation and remind us and encourage us that it's, it's not at all about what we have to do, but it's all about what Jesus Christ has done for us. Man, what a, what a blessing and what a gift they are. God, I pray that uh, as we read and as we study your word, that it, it won't just be this, this cold exercise, this, this legalistic thing that we have to do so that we can check off our 20 minutes, but God, that we can see that, that, that your word is living and it's active and it's beautiful. Thank you so much, God, for what you've given us, that you show us who we are and who you are. And you give us this encouragement that we are your children, that we are saved and sealed, that we are completely forgiven because of what Jesus has done, not because of anything that we've done. I pray, dear God, that you would strengthen our faith and help us to be able to communicate that amazing gospel of grace through faith in Jesus to others. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.